Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Father, we lift our hands to you. We thank you, O oh God, for the privilege of coming together. God, it's an honor. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And God, today I pray, would you impart to us the gift of faith? God, I thank you that none of us needs to earn your approval. We don't need to perform to somehow feel significant. We are significant because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father, we honour you, we love you. And I pray right now, oh God, over these next few hours and into tomorrow, Vision Sunday across every location, Oh God, open the eyes of our heart to see what you see. And Lord, may we join you in what you're doing, not try to get you to join us in what we're doing. And so God, I just pray an anointing upon this time. I pray quicken to us, oh God, the word of the Lord. May the Spirit move amongst us, stirring, inspiring, drawing us closer. May we all find our place, our role, our gift in whatever it is you've called us to do this year. We love you, we honour you, we commit to you this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. Why don't you grab a seat? And uh, I'm going to uh, immediately throw to uh, a global uh, location update. And so just look at the screens and we're going to hear some exciting testimonies and reports of what's happening around Numa Global. At Numa Melbourne East, we are so grateful to God for what He did last year. 2022 saw the miraculous breakthrough of our building permit. It went to VCAT, and yes, we did win that, and now we have a permit to fit out Joseph Street. Uh, also coming out of COVID, uh, all of the teams have been replenished, and the church is postured for a great 2023. The Lord has been so good to us. We have seen the hand of the Lord save people. We have seen so many miraculous healings. We have seen restorations of families and destinies. One of those amazing stories that is a standout for me personally uh, was seeing a man in his late 40s come forward weeping and weeping. And he later shared with me that he was re-surrendering his life to the Lord, that his entire life would now be centered around the presence of the Lord every day, beginning with the Lord. And he has kept that promise to the Lord from that day since. It is a revival of repentance and coming back to God. Multiplication is the word for us. Yep, that's it, harvest. And we just want to see that happen through our far reaching out the community and investing into new Christians and just put prayer again on the map and just keep investing in that. And in our eight months at Numa South, we've been blown away by everyone's hunger. We also started a 2 p.m. prayer and healing service and just seen so much of God's goodness in this time. We have been blown away by a team of intercessors, prayer intercessors that have been standing in the gap week in, week out. They'll come early before church to pray for our services, to pray for the land where we are. During the week, they pray over prayer requests. We've just been so blown away. And we know that these prayers are shifting things, that lives are being changed. And we're just thankful that prayer is fueling power. At Numa Hobart, we've experienced the faithfulness of God in such a significant way. We've seen souls and baptisms and healings take place. 
and we've been led by God to dig deep wells of prayer, of intercession for the city and the state, because we believe Tasmania will be saved. We uh, are just so tr excited by the transformation taking place in people's lives, uh, individually as well as corporately, as the kingdom culture is being established in such a healthy way. We believe this year we will see a season of accelerated harvest. We've been faithful in, in sowing seeds of the kingdom in our local community and we believe that many people will come to know Jesus. We're also believing for uh, supernatural signs and wonders and miracles to break out as a, as a demonstration of God's love and power. So one person who's experienced incredible transformation is a young teenager who's part of our church by the name of Josh. Last year, he decided to commit his life to Christ and became baptised, which was incredible. And in his own words, now I care about following Christ. One of the amazing things that we've seen in 2022 is our family lunch space. Uh, it's been such a beautiful part of our Sunday where really deep connections are formed, relationships, friendships formed, um, and it's been so beautiful to watch. And we're going to build that momentum in 2023 by setting up a weekly outpost at Laverton every Friday where we're going to have 11am prayer walks followed by family lunch each Friday to build this covenant family. We've seen so many incredible testimonies, but one that really stands out for us was a man named Vince. He was diagnosed with stage four cancer and given four months to live. But in March last year, when he went to visit his doctor, the scans came up, cancer-free, fully healed, God moved in a miraculous way. And what I've loved about that is that Vince now has become an evangelist himself, telling the testimony to anyone that would listen and just seeing that new purpose in his yeah. life. And we're just excited to see more and more testimonies like Vince's in this year in 2023, as God continues to move. Over the past year at Little Perth, we focused on equipping our core team and raising up leaders with the desire that every disciple would make disciples. We now have a strong group of leaders and volunteers who are hungry for Jesus and fully committed to seeing revival come to the city of Perth. Yeah, we have a family in our church who have a friend named Mark, and unfortunately his wife passed away recently. They didn't know anyone that could do the funeral, and so Jason offered to do it. This really was a divine appointment because about 50 people heard the gospel that day, many of them for the first time. Since then, Mark's been growing in his relationship with God and recently he brought his son along with him to Numa. Yeah, we're so confident that 2023 is going to be our greatest year of harvest yet. Last year, God did some amazing work at our location and I'm going to get Amy to share a story with you. God has opened the door for us to run a leadership program in a local Buddhist high school where majority of the high school students have not heard about Jesus. And the school director was so happy with our program that he's inviting us back this year to run the program again. You know, we believe, you know, this year in 2023, God is going to open the doors for us to minister into high schools and university, you know, as we reach the next generation for Jesus. So we want to invite you to be praying for us as we advance God's kingdom here in the nation of Thailand. In 2022, there are many testimonies at our location. One of the standout ones is we have this young family who recently planted themselves in Newman Church, Bangkok. And in the first week, their six-year-old daughter experienced some spiritual attack and started hearing voices in her head telling her to deny Jesus. And on one of the Sundays, um, our team prayed for them at the altar. And guess what? Within the next few days, the voices left her head and this family is now well planted in our church and faithfully serving. We believe that where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. As the church, we believe that prayer fuels power, miracles are normal, and we believe that you know, God is going to do amazing things in the days to come at our location. 
We have been living here the past five months now and God has really shown us that His hand is upon this city in a big way. And one of the things that God has led us in is kingdom connections with other churches and other people that are just so passionate and hungry for restoration and revival here already. Absolutely. And as we continue to follow God in planting Numa in San Francisco, uh, we have some key focuses this year. Mm -hmm. And as we see in Acts 18, Paul plants the church in Corinth and he's led by God to have consistency of ministry. And so as we continue to plant the church this year, we're going to consistently plow the spiritual ground. We're going to consistently disciple those that we're connecting and reaching. We're going to consistently share the gospel confidently, and we're going to continue to engage in kingdom connections. And one testimony that we want to share with you is of a young adult who we have begun to disciple and really divinely have been able to connect and engage with them. But uh, they have begun to come along to life group and uh, the very first life group that she came to, she began to share some of the difficulty that she's been going through the last three or four years with basically no uh, community whatsoever, and recently some really challenges that she's been going through. And uh, in that life group, as we sat in that cafe, we prayed for her, believing that God was going to move powerfully upon her. And the next day, we got a text in the morning, and she texted saying that the pain she was experiencing was gone. And the uh, exhaustion that she was under, the weight of that, lightly left her body in God's goodness. God is on the move. Well, here at City Location, we have been blown away by what God has done. In 2022, we prayed, we fasted, we did everything that we could to seek the heart of God. And we saw on Super Bowl Sunday, the sovereign move of God where He marked us forever. No longer are we a church that's in revival, but we are a revival church. We're not people who are in revival, but we are revivalists taking God to every aspect of our community. So I'm so excited for what 2023 holds. We are going to see more and more and more of what God is going to do. When I think about the lives that have been transformed in 2022, I mean, I could be talking for ages. But one key one that I can think of is a young man who came to one of our altars with one crutch after having knee surgery. And after a time of prayer, he actually ended up leaving that crutch at the altar totally healed, totally restored. And so we have seen miracle after miracle after miracle happen here. And I'm so excited to see and be a part of what God's going to do in this next year. Come on, let's put our hands together and celebrate the goodness of God, all that He has done over the last year and all that He is about to do. It's so good. I love hearing updates and testimonies. May we never become overly familiar with the power of testimony to fuel our faith and inspire us about what is yet to come because of what God is doing in our midst. I want to invite you to go with me to Psalm 85, 6. Psalm 85, 6. In in this first session, really want to uh, lay a foundation and speaking into something that the Lord has been uh, doing in us and through us over the last six months. We've had a wild six months uh, together as a church as we've seen uh, the Holy Spirit of revival break out in incredible ways. And uh, we want everyone to be totally not just caught up in what's happening, but to understand the significance of what it means for us corporately as well as individually. 
And one of the primary verses that the Lord has um, just scripted upon our hearts into the foundation of this season is Psalm 85, verse 6. It says, Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And so in this first session, I just want to speak to you about a revival church or a church in revival. It's a really important idea and distinction and concept uh, that we need to consider. I'm just asking if um, we can turn the temperature up a little bit. It just feels a little bit cool in here. Um, when I was um, in the 90s, I read a book uh, written by Yongi Cho called Prayer, Key to Revival. And uh, it was a book that God used to mark my heart in a significant way. And I, since then, I've read that book countless times. And it's the story of what God did in Yongi Cho's life and in his ministry and in the church through the medium of prayer to actually spark and begin a revival, not just in his heart, not just in the church that he pioneered and planted, but in the nation of South Korea. And little did I realize that at the time, God was actually scripting upon my heart this cry for revival, this, this, this pattern, this blueprint of what it actually means to be in um, constant communication with the presence of Jesus and then living out of that place of prayer where prayer isn't something external or a tool that we pick up and use to achieve a certain outcome, but literally it's like I became prayer. Prayer became the air that I breathed. It became a spirit of prayer and intercession began to mark my life. And so beyond a fascination with the interrelationship between prayer and revival, there was this cry of Psalm 85, 6. Uh, Lord, will you not? Revive us again. Will you not revive your church again so that your people may rejoice in you? And to be honest with you, ever since I was a little boy, I have felt the burden of the Lord to the, the, the wooing of the Holy Spirit, the call of God to, to come aside from life's activities and, and busyness and demands and to actually set aside time in the secret place and to seek the heart of God. Ever since I was a little boy, I felt the burden of the spiritual apathy, the moral bankruptcy of the world at large. And even though as a little kid, I couldn't articulate or, or describe uh, in those words what I felt and sensed, my heart would break as I would see Sunday mornings vacant of traffic as we would go to church. In fact, every Sunday morning, I would drive, I, we still to this day that I drive to the church service to get ready for a day in the house of the Lord, my heart grieves that it isn't the busiest day of the week. Some people are happy that there's no traffic on Sunday morning. I'm not happy because I, I want Sunday mornings to be peak hour traffic where people are so hungry to get to the house of the Lord. Until the city of Melbourne has peak, until the city of Bangkok, the city of Perth and, and, and beyond has peak out traffic on a Sunday morning because everyone is just busting down the doors to get into the local church. The job is not done. We're, we're not going to be content and happy 
with that. And so Matthew 6, 6, Jesus exhorts us when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret, in private, will reward you openly and publicly. There is something about history that is created in the secret place that spills out over into the public square of our daily life. And whilst Jesus declared, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, it's so important that we remember the goal isn't prayer, the goal is Jesus. The goal is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So often what can happen is that the medium, the pathway to the goal becomes the goal. Jesus is the goal. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, becoming more and more like Jesus, growing into the full measure and stature of Christ, being equipped and coming into a place of Christ-like maturity, not just individually, but corporately as the people of God, is the goal. Prayer is the pathway. Communion with Jesus is the pathway amongst other ministries and other expressions of church life, but particularly prayer is the pathway to the goal. And prayer looks like lots of different things. Of all the things that the disciples asked Jesus to uh, teach them, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They never asked Jesus to teach them the eight steps to a powerful healing ministry. As important as that is. They never asked Jesus how to preach a sermon, take up an offering. But they recognized that when Jesus came from his place of prayer, that appointed time and place of intimacy with his father, there was something different about him. And they said, Lord, we don't know what you're doing there, but you need to teach us how to pray because prayer fuels power. Prayer is the source, the epicenter of power. And so as God began to script on my heart and then as Simone and I started to date and get married and begin the journey of answering the call to ministry, it's no coincidence then that God would call us to lead a move of God's Spirit across the nations through the ministry of Numa Church in all that God had was already doing historically, both in, in the present and for the future in this great house. Numa Church was birthed out of a heart in one man crying out to God, will you not revive us again, O God, so that your people may rejoice in you? You see, it was in 1916, C.L. Greenwood, an apostle of faith, he started a prayer meeting on a Thursday night in his house. And that prayer meeting went from Thursday to Friday and then from Saturday, uh, Friday to Saturday into Sunday night. And for nine years, this man of God started and hosted a prayer meeting in, the, in his house that grew and grew and grew. And it was a cry for revival. It was a cry for a move of God to actually break out, not just in him, but in the city of Melbourne and in the body of Christ. We know, to, to cut a long story short, there are many details, but we know that in 1925, out of the Sunshine Revival, 
was birthed, Richmond Temple, literally the building that just is adjacent to us here on this same block. We know that on one Sunday, talk about a move of God, on one Sunday in the middle of the Great Depression, that church raised the 6,000 pounds sterling necessary to buy the Richmond Theatre. We know that at one point, 1,200 children were in the kids' ministry. We know that in their first campaign or conference, similar to our revival conference, they had to move from the 1,200 seater next door to the Olympia Theatre, 5,000 people a night for weeks on end, where there was so much manifestation of glory that miracles were breaking out like popcorn. People didn't even need to have hands laid on them and believing in faith. Such was the manifestation of glory and the thunderous crack, literally that could be heard in the roof of the building and people would start screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Mass deliverance, mass baptism of the Holy Spirit. A Bible college, the original Numa School of the Spirit was started in 1948 out of Richmond Temple that now has become a national university college that many, many people, thousands of people study at. Such was the move of God that actually the seeds of revival here birthed an entire movement of churches of which now there is over a thousand of those churches around Australia and beyond. Never underestimate the relentless hunger and cry within the heart of one person to say, God, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? You see, Numa Church wasn't just birthed in revival. We're called to be a revival church. And in the last six months, God has poured out His Spirit in a significant way, literally recorded hundreds and hundreds of healings and miracles, stories and testimonies of changed lives. The reality is God has called this house to be a lampstand church. It's anointed with the spirit of revival. And out of all the different nuances of the vision that God has given to us, both for the present and the future, It's so important that we understand that without the spirit of revival, the planting of churches just becomes this humanistic, mechanical work of man. That the the concept of multiple churches being planted and the concept of, you know, four global hubs and even the, the idea of attempting to disciple cities and nations without the Holy Spirit of revival marking our lives and fueling what we're doing, it is pointless. It's a waste of time. So much so that Jesus said, don't you dare try and go out and preach the gospel. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Revival is normal New Testament Christianity. When we use terms like being a revivalist, we're talking about a normal New Testament, spirit-filled, blood-bought, sanctified follower of Jesus. That's what it means. But what has happened over the last 2,000 years and what has happened in in the, the Western consumeristic model of church life is that we've got an idea, we've been presented an idea, a sanitized version of Christianity, a sanitized version of what it means to be a follower of Jesus to the point that we're so far away, so distant away from what normal New Testament Christianity is 
that we've come to swallow a consumeristic approach that has taken the power of God and the spirit of revival out of the church. Jesus wants His church back. It's His church and it's His spirit that does the work through the church to transform not just individuals, but entire societies, cities, and nations for the glory of God. You see, the distinction between a revival church and a church in revival is as vast as the Grand Canyon. They could not be more further apart. One is permanent, the other is seasonal. One understands the habitation of God in his house, being made into a dwelling place. The other only understands the concept of a visitation. You see, much of the um, research into historical revivals suggests that there's a beginning of a great move of God and then there is an ending. But you need to understand since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and I'm going to speak into this tomorrow on Vision Sunday, the Holy Spirit has not stopped His purpose and His intention of pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh where there is the heart of faith and there is the cry of hunger. We need to be careful that we don't limit and restrict what God wants to do to the study and to the historical narrative of what has been in the past, but actually we need to understand that we've got to study the heart of God because it is God's heart to move us from glory to glory and strength to strength. If we don't steward this move of God as a people, as a community of faith, as leaders, and all that God is doing right now, we have no one else to blame except ourselves. It's not based upon a lack on God's end. It will be based upon a lack of hunger and stewardship and faith on our part. What does it mean to be a revival church versus a church in revival? Well, firstly, it means a revival church follows the revelation of the Spirit, not the traditions of man. Is it okay if we just preach truth today? Are you with me today? Are we awake on a Saturday morning? A revival church follows the leadership and the revelation of the Spirit of God, both the revealed through His Word and also the prophetic revelation of the Spirit in each moment of each day rather than simply the, the strategies and the traditions of man. A revival church, another way of saying it, chooses the mantle of sonship over the methods of slavery. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in Romans 8.14, the Apostle Paul had the revelation for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So whether you're male or female, we all need to understand and embrace sonship. What it means to have how heavenly father that we're in relationship with that if you are a son and a daughter of your heavenly father filled with the spirit we are we are by virtue of that fact to be led by 
the Spirit of God. Sonship is best demonstrated through living a voice-activated life. It's not Siri-activated life. It's a Holy Ghost voice-activated life. And, and Christianity becomes very religious and very stale and very old, very quickly, very traditional and stuck in its ways without understanding the freshness and life that comes through living a Holy Spirit voice-activated life. Following Jesus is the, both the most glorious and the scariest adventure of life. And people who... Who, who think Christianity is boring, it's like, well, clearly you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will ask you to do things that will make your hair curl. He'll ask you to do things that, that put you on edge in your flesh and, and yet there is this glorious freedom that comes through following the voice of the Spirit. Just think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 when the Father declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Immediately after that declaration of the Father heart of God and of the Sonship of Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 4 that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Sometimes the, the Spirit will lead you into spaces and places that you might not have chosen for you, but there's a greater kingdom purpose and an eternal purpose that God has in mind that <clears throat> you can't necessarily, excuse me, see, but if you don't understand sonship, if you don't understand what it means to be led by the Spirit of God, you won't see the redemptive purposes of God, even if you're in the middle of a wilderness, and what it is that God actually wants to do in you and through you. In Matthew 9, 17, Jesus said, new wine is not put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins bur burst and both are destroyed. New wine is for new wineskin. It's so important you understand the wineskin must always serve the wine. It's not the other way around. We are not trying to accommodate the moving of the Spirit into the structure and the systems of what we do and what we're trying to achieve. No, the systems are... And the structure must bend and flex to the river of the Spirit of God that is moving in our midst. We must stay flexible. We must stay pliable in a church that is on the move, in a church that is growing, in a church that is, is following the Holy Spirit. There must be a dynamic, a posture of flexibility. You see... Whilst Jesus' character is the same yesterday, today, and forever, how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives is dynamic. And so we cannot just assume a posture, well, this is how God worked this way in my life and did it this way, and so therefore that's what I've come to expect and it's business as usual. No, God wants to do a new thing in your life this year. He wants to move in new ways. And so too many believers would rather be the expert in the old thing rather than a novice in the new thing. And that's why you will never be able to access the fullness of the kingdom of God and the power of God if you don't have childlike faith. If you've, you know, worked it out, bought the t-shirt, been there, done that, and you've summarized and worked out what Christianity, what the church should be doing, 
and, and you, you, we're going to get passed over. We're going to miss out on what it is. But I'm praying that from whether it's me, you, and everyone in between, that we would assume a posture of childlike faith, of childlikeness that says, God, Lord, let me come to you each morning like a little kid comes to their mum and dad and with expectation, with a sense of hunger and a sense of anticipation in what you're going to do. What's a revival church? A revival church is consumed with hosting God's presence, not entertaining consumers. It just gets better. In Psalm 27, 4, David said, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon His beauty in His temple. What was the prayer that David prayed as he repented of his sin? When he recognized and realized his error, his wrongful ways as the prophet came and highlighted and pointed out to him. One of the striking moments in Psalm 51 is verse 11 where he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me because out of all the things that David could lose, he wasn't asking, oh, please don't take my kingdom away from me. Please don't take my influence away from me. Please don't take my reputation away from me. His prized possession was the presence of God. He was consumed with hosting the presence of God. A lot of churches think about how do we satisfy and attract more customers? Not at Numa. We have a heart for the lost. We have a heart to serve and to pastor the congregation. But our overwhelming, consuming thought is how do we host God's presence well? How do we actually, we've become so customer-centric, we've forgotten it's for the audience of one. That this is God's church. That this isn't about, you know, power to the people. It's about God being exalted and glorified in all of His awe and His wonder. It is about the glory of Jesus. He is the chief shepherd. We've made church more about us than we have about Him. A Moses church says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't let us move from this point. A King Saul church says, whether your presence is here or not, I'm going to go and do what I think I should do. And the kingdom was torn away from King Saul because he didn't have awe and reverence for the word of the Lord and how God was moving. Now we understand that as New Testament spirit-filled believers, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and apparently, theologically, Practically, experientially, everywhere we go, the Spirit goes with us. But let me tell you something. How many know? I know a whole lot of Spirit-filled believers that their Spirit-filled can speak in tongues and yet they're not doing everything God is doing. And so there is this sense that we've got to assume that posture of humility and reverence and awe that you can say you're Spirit-filled, attend church, speak in tongues and yet totally be doing and living and operating outside of the purposes and the leadings of the Spirit of God in your life. 
Most churches don't get revival because they try to add what God is doing to what they're doing. And they wonder why it doesn't happen and break out. Most leaders are content to build a great church. They're not hungry for a move of God's spirit. I'm not content. I've been a part of great ministries. I've seen God build great things. I'm not content. It doesn't satisfy. And not even revival will ultimately satisfy you. It's the reviver. Revival doesn't come because you pursue revival. Revival comes because you pursue the reviver. So why would we try and get God to sort of, you know, add on something to what we're doing? Just surrender what you're doing and join Him in what He's doing. What you get people with, you have to keep people with. And so if entertainment and and lights, bells, whistles and sirens is what we use to keep people engaged, you're going to burn yourself out in your ministry and in your life to try and upmanship every week you've got to go on you've got to entertain better and we've got to you know do theatrical dances and 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 gymnast spiritual gymnastics to try and get people to be wowed you know and 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 it's gotten so ridiculous in some parts of the world that the church has almost become like you know like Cirque du Soleil to try and entertain people and what you get them in with, you have to keep doing in order to sustain them. But I'm telling you, when the fear of man has been broken off of your life, you don't have to fit the mold of a consumerist church. You just have to lead people to the river of living water, to drink of that river, to drink of that living water. And Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water, oh, in the natural, you're gonna thirst again. But if you eat the bread of life and you drink of this living water, you'll never hunger again, you'll never thirst again because there is nothing that will satisfy like like the river of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts and lives and the power and authority of the Word of God. A revival church stays hungry for more of God no matter what it costs. Psalm 20, uh, Proverbs 27, 7 says, One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. We all know the first sign of the morbidly sick is they lose hunger. First sign of a spiritually sick believer is they lose hunger for God. That's why you never listen to a complacent believer tell you what God is or isn't doing right now on the earth. If someone's self-satisfied, they're complacent, I love them, but I'm not listening to them to tell me what God is prophetically doing or not doing right now. Now, I, I want to listen to someone, even a, a, a little kid with childlike faith that is coming with expectation, that is so hungry for the things of God. I remember one time asking God, how, how long do you want me to pray? I want to know the formula, God. We all want to know the formula. Let's plug and play. What's the formula? He said, wrong question. He said, the question is, how hungry are you? Because if there's a lot of hunger, there'll be a lot of engagement in your spirit with the Spirit of God, whatever that looks like. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I will only go where I'm hungered for 
sacrificed for and sought after. Much of what the church is doing, and I know it's a big statement, but the Spirit of God spoke to me before this outpouring. He said, much of what my church is doing, I'm not even in. A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the church, 95% of what the church were doing would just continue. If the Holy Spirit was taken out of the first century church, 95% of what they're doing would stop. And it's sobering to think that if Elvis just left the building, would we just continue? Because what happened in King Saul's reign and influence is that he still had the title, he still had the structure, the mechanics of the kingdom were still in place, but Elvis had left the building. The Spirit of God, the anointing had gone. The presence had gone. And, and the, the, let the fear of God come upon us and the church that we would just continue to business as usual, do what we do and not even be aware. Is God even in our midst? We, we, we mentally assent to where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. But you go to some places and it's like the frozen chosen, if you know what I mean. It's like, you know, is God actually here? This is why how we host the presence of God and our discernment and sensitivity to the Spirit and what's happening in a service is we don't just presume that if we do this and do that, God's here. We may know theologically and scripturally that is true, but I'm not just interested. God does not want us just to have a mental assent sort of cognitive doctrinal idea of the reality of God. He wants us to have an experience, a personal, intimate relationship where we are encountering the God that we profess to believe. You have as much of God today as you wanted Him yesterday. Jesus always rewards hunger. One of the attacks against the modern church, particularly Western church, is a spirit of apathy and complacency. I just need to let every volunteer know, I'm just serving notice on every principality and power of darkness, of every city where Numa Church goes, we have declared war on the spirit of apathy and complacency in Jesus' name. If you want to be an apathetic, complacent, consumeristic believer, then either you are going to repent of that mindset and jump in the river with the rest of us, or maybe this isn't the church for you. No, he's being serious. Because not every church is for everyone. <clears throat> and, and, and Jesus didn't chase after people when he said, follow me, and they said, no, I've got a, another demand or something. He didn't chase them, so oh, pretty please, pretty please. Would you pretty please follow me? He said, follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and let's go. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God will always reward hunger. And as long as we're bound by the fear of man, we'll always be trying to shape the church of Jesus Christ into the image of the customer, not into the image of God and who He is. And what he's called us to. The great thing about hunger is you don't even need to be gifted. You just have to have a desire. Yeah. 
You don't need to be special. You just got to have this appetite that says, God, keep me hungry. You, you, every one of us know what it's like to be hungry because you, your stomach growls. It could be growling right now. And you, and you, you want to eat. So why can't we apply that same concept into our spirit? Catherine Coleman said, I was born without talent. One day I said, wonderful Jesus, I don't have a thing. But if you can take nothing and use it, here's nothing. All I can give you is my heart of love. And Jesus said, that's enough. And she changed the world. You see, a revival church not only stays hungry for more of God, but a revival church carries the river of revival with them wherever they go. In John 7, 38, Jesus said, whoever believes in me out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It's plural. It's not just one. It's breaking out everywhere. A revival church does not leave revival at the meeting. Wasn't that a good meeting? You know, we've had a lot of great meetings, a lot of great services. Oh, no, that's not revival. We call it a revival service, but actually a revival church takes revival with them. They take the reviver with them when they leave the meeting. So whatever room or situation you walk into, you are a walking miracle about to happen. We should create t-shirts, beware a walking miracle is about to happen. So wherever you go, when you're in your job, when you're in your work cubicle, when you're you know, landscaping a property, when you're, when you're in the cafe, when, when you're in your university lecture room and they're just, you know, proliferating absolute rubbish about, you know, philosophies and vain imagination and putting you down for you. Beware, a walking miracle is about to happen. That's what it means to be in revival. That's what it means to carry the Spirit of revival. The word revive me in Hebrew kaya means to be quickened, to be made alive, to be restored, to bring back into use after decline. Everywhere you go, the word of the Lord on our lips should be come alive in Jesus' name. Come alive. Brings life and energy. And historically, revival has been preceded by spiritual apathy and moral bankruptcy both in the church and the world. And if ever there was a time where we need revival, now's the time. Our world is morally bankrupt, spiritually apathetic. You know, I heard, I go preach at different conferences and I was told you can't preach on revival, it's not a Bible word. And I'm just like, are, are, we, are, you, are we reading the same book? Like, <laughs> I don't know if you're reading Dr. Zeus or the Holy Scriptures. I'm not sure because it's mentioned 15 times in the Old Covenant. And if the day of Pentecost isn't a revival, I don't know what is. And the message to the seven churches in Revelation is about being revived and renewed and restored back to the heart of, of, of the Father. And, and so, you know, I'm pretty sure revival is a biblical concept. Oh, we don't need that. We just need this. We need no, no, no. Our world needs a move of God. This city, this nation, and the nations of the earth needs a move of God. And God has yes called us to plant churches. Has yes called us to disciple individuals and cities and nations. But without the spirit of revival, it is impossible. And so I want to encourage you to stand to your feet with me today. 
And I want us to lift our voice and cry out to God for one moment together. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Come on, all across this room, wherever you are in every living room right now, in the auditorium, wherever you are, God, we come to you today. We lift holy hands to you, Father. And we are crying out, oh God, for the city of Melbourne and every capital city and region across Australia. We are crying out, oh God, Lord, for the nation of Australia, the city of Bangkok, the nation of Thailand, Lord, the city of San Francisco, the nation of the United States. God, all across the earth, everywhere you're calling us to, even, oh God, that call to go into Paris, France. God, we come to you and we declare, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? I'm praying for that river of living water to start to flow through every heart. Lord, let that river of living water bring life, satisfy the thirst and the cry, oh God, of our hearts, oh God. Lord, we are so hungry for more of you. Keep us hungry, keep us thirsty, oh God. Yes. Keep us satisfied, but keep us also with childlike faith that says, God, there is always more. There is more that You have for us. And I'm asking, oh God, that You would shake, Lord, the core, the army of this house, that God, it would permeate and scale out, oh God, into every location, to every neighbourhood, into every street and community, oh God, that the spirit of revival would break out, oh God. We are not just a church in a temporary move of God. We are a revival church. And I'm asking, oh God, that which you started 98 years ago, oh Lord, would you continue it today? Lord, would you bring it in this hour to a point of great wholeness, fullness, shalom, completion, oh God. Lord, that we would see, oh God, this spirit of revival break out, break out, break out. Lord, we thank You that Your kingdom came in the person of Jesus, but we thank You Your kingdom is still coming today. And we declare Your kingdom come and Your will be done by the power of Your Holy Spirit and the authority of Your Word on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We declare it and we believe it today in Jesus' Name. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together. Just honour the Lord. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.